Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Better Than Yesterday podcast, hosted by Stark Strength and Conditioning. This podcast is dedicated to strength and conditioning, CrossFit, nutrition, weightlifting, powerlifting, health, and helping you to become better than yesterday. If you like our show, head over to the iTunes store and give us a five-star rating. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Paul from Stark Strength and Conditioning, uh, owner and head coach, and I am here today with my youngest brother, Shane. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Um, I'm very excited to have him here. Um, it's It's been a while that I've been wanting to have him on uh, the, the podcast here, and uh, you know, our, our theme is always better than yesterday, so we want people to to become better than yesterday in whatever way, whether it's more, you know, physically active or just believing in themselves a little bit more and taking that first step to be able to, you know, to get more done and to increase their quality of life. And, um, I think, you know, having my, my youngest brother Shane on here, um, will hopefully be, be helpful for some people out there, uh, to, to be able to, you know, maybe motivate them and, and get them doing a little bit more than, than they think they're capable of. So, um, yeah, Shane is, uh, you're 25 now. Yes, sir. You're my brother. You should know this. <laughs> 25 now. And, uh, I think, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, like I said, he's my youngest brother. He's, he's an inspiration. I look up to him cause he's like six foot four, a <laughs> <laughs> little, little taller now than he used to be. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's awesome to see like how far he's come as, as a, as a person, you know, after his accident and even just like growing up and, um, you know, just who he is now. And, uh, I guess maybe I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Shane, and you can tell everyone a little bit about yourself. So okay. go ahead. Well, as you know, my name is Shane Dick. And uh, well, growing up with three older brothers, I was extremely competitive. I always had to basically try and beat them in every single sport or every single little thing we did at home. And I think that uh, helped me a lot uh, throughout the process with my spinal cord injury, uh, with the accident and recovery process. Um, but obviously, uh, knowing my brother going through so much at a young age, um, with him breaking his leg and all that, I had to watch him go through months of rehab and all that. And I kind of knew exactly what was going on and, uh, what he had to do to get back to where he is today. And that definitely helped me with my mindset going through what I had to go through as well. Um, and, uh, since then I basically played every single sport prior to my injury. Um, I tore my ACL, unfortunately, in 2011, uh, between grade 11 and grade 12 when I was actually supposed to start football. I was extremely into soccer, uh, track, volleyball, uh, basically you name it, I played it. Um, unfortunately, due to tearing that ACL, I lost uh, a few scholarships for volleyball and track going into uh, uh, post-secondary school. Um which definitely sucked. It was a big hit, and I kind of thought that my sports career was over. Uh, little did I know that ACL surgeries are basically nothing, and I had something a lot more difficult coming my way. So um, I got into a spinal, or I got into an accident in August 27th, 2013, and I ended up being paralyzed from my neck down. Um, I was called a C5 quadriplegic, and uh, I spent six months in the hospital and had to do a lot of work uh, in regards to getting back on my feet and, uh, um, you know, just getting back to life, and that's that's where I am today. So, yeah, Shane's been through a lot in the past, 
in the past five years, um, you know, recovering from this and then even, even your ACL injury, like how did, how did that, how did you end up tearing your ACL? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I was, uh, in a soccer tournament in Grand Forks. Um, unfortunately I tore it during the nighttime. Actually, I think I tore it during the nighttime. It's, it's a little hazy. I was drinking one night and then we, uh, we were doing Chinese get-ups and I did a Chinese get-up and I felt something pull on my knee and I didn't think it was that bad. So I just, you know, kept so, on going. So explain a Chinese get-up for those that don't know. Okay. Well, basically you're on, you're on the floor on your back and you put your knees up towards your chest and you basically hurl yourself up just using your legs. Don't use your arms at all. And you spring up towards the floor, you arc your back, and you pull up as hard as you can, and there you go. And basically, when I did that, I think that I hyper-enclosed my knee, and I felt something tear a little bit, and I was wondering what the heck happened. And uh, we had a game the next morning at 7.30 in the morning, and uh, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to play. Went to bed, woke up in the morning, could barely walk. I didn't know if it was, like, you know, an ACL tear just hurt my knee, bone bruise or whatever it was. And I ended up playing the rest of the tournament. I used a whole tube of rub A535 on my knee to get through that game. I scored two goals. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember that day like it was yesterday. And uh, yeah, my knee ended up swelling up. And then I went into, uh, when we went back to Canada, I got my MRI, MRI taken and found out that I tore my ACL, my lateral meniscus and my medial meniscus. So um, it took about six months for that MRI and then it took six months for that surgery. So during that year, I wasn't able to play all the sports that I wanted to play. So I strictly stuck to volleyball um, because it was more vertical movements up and down instead of lateral movements, which is really bad for the knee. They can just so, jump up and down and block. That's it. Yes. And spike and all that stuff, all that good stuff. So yeah. um, that was that was quite a hit because I can play all the sports I really wanted to in my grade 12 year, um, but I still played track and volleyball. I just basically taped it up, taped up my knee. Then I put a brace over top of it. And then I uh, also used some pro wrap as well. Um, basically for every single time I played a sport, um, I wasn't going to, you know, set out for my final year of, of high school because like that would suck. Why? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was, yeah, growing up, I was athlete of the year all four years throughout high school. Um, and then I pushed myself quite a bit and I wanted to hold myself to the highest standard. So I really wanted to play and perform as well as I could. <clears throat> um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a mission. And after the surgery, I thought, you know, my whole sports career was over. I thought, you know, this is the biggest thing that happened to me in my life so far. Um, I was really, you know, you know, bummed about it. And uh, right after surgery, in about four months, the doctor cleared me to play full contact sports again because I busted my ass to get back to that spot in four months. And uh, ever since then, yeah, I was able to play every single sport, full contact. I was back playing soccer in five months and, and went from there, and it was awesome. That's pretty fast because a lot of times people take much longer to recover, depending on their age too. Like you were, you were young when you had that done, yes. versus like, so. versus like, yeah, how old were you? Uh, so it was twenty eleven. So it was seven years ago, I was eighteen. Okay, so you recover a lot quicker when you're eighteen versus someone who's like thirty years old or forty years old getting their ACL replaced. So. Yeah. Um, that, that recovery is a lot, a lot quicker. And you had like hamstring harvested 
and then put in, yeah. Yep, yep. It was there. grafted from my hamstring. And they say that, they, you know, like it, it's four months to a year for a full recovery for ACL. But I read a st- statistic where only 30% of people actually do their therapy at home now. It's given to them from their physiotherapist. So, you know, like if you put in the work, it's 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 going to happen and you're going to get past it. So well, it you depends. just got to do it. It depends on how active someone is too. Like if you have a desk job and you're not very active, like you're probably going to recover from that ACL surgery a lot quicker because you're not, you don't really have any demands on yourself. You're not having to go to the gym and squat or go play soccer and, you know, chase a ball down or whatever. Like for people who are a lot more active and and are needing a lot more out of their bodies, it's going to take, you know, longer to recover. But if all you do is sit behind a desk all day, you get your ACL you know, replaced and Hey, three months I can, you know, sit behind the desk with no problems again. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It's easier to go back to a desk job or whatever you're doing when it's, you know, not athletic, but, uh, you know, with me, I was basically running and doing everything every single day. Um, I was playing, I think I was playing a little bit of pepper, which is, you know, bump set spike for volleyball. I was playing beach volleyball within three months, I think. And it wasn't like, you know, balls to the walls, but it was still something. And I really wanted to, you know, go to enjoy my summer. So I pushed it a little bit and, uh, yeah, it was fine. And you haven't had any like ill effects with that knee or anything like that? Just ACL wise? No, not since the, not since the injury just now, I just have a little bit of, um, I guess I don't have any range of motion, um, in my knee, uh, actively Hmm. now just due to the spinal cord injury. Yeah. All right. Um, so after your, your ACL was torn, you started getting back into, um, training and stuff like that. You were saying you were playing, you know, back to playing soccer, uh, playing volleyball, stuff like that. And then that's like, what got you started into bodybuilding? Cause you ended up going that route too. Yes. Um, when I tore my ACL and I basically thought I wouldn't be able to play any sports anymore. Um, I wasn't going to sit on my ass all day and do nothing, obviously, I wanted to, you know, do as much as I possibly could. So my brother Kelby at the time was working out at Shapes and I... What? Yeah, he worked out. No way. Impressive, right? So This (laughs) one time. I wonder if he's going to hear this. So anyway, (laughs) um, I found it pretty cool. Uh, I was really, really skinny. I was probably about 6'3", 155 pounds. I was a string bean, I admit it. And uh, But that's why I was so good at track and stuff because I was a lanky guy. And um, I wanted to put some more mass on and uh, found the gym to be a good getaway. I first went with him and, and I was so sore, I probably couldn't even lift the shaker cup up to my mouth when I was on my way home from the gym after the first time. So realizing how sore you can get from lifting weights kind of got me addicted a little bit. And uh, within the first year of working out, I went from 155 pounds to 195 pounds. And I didn't really know anything about nutrition. I just ate a ton of chicken strips and just whatever I can get on, you know, get in my mouth that was had protein, carbs, fats, whatever it was. I just tried to gain as much weight as possible. Just calories. Just pound back those calories. Now I know a little bit more. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it definitely got me into bodybuilding, tearing my ACL. You know, it was a blessing in disguise because, you know, like now if I if I got into my spinal cord injury and I didn't have a bodybuilding background, I'd probably be dead. So thankfully... <laughs> Yeah. So you had, you had a good amount of muscle on that, that frame there. So the, the doctor said like you, that, that helped you. Like it was like having a, a suit of armor on sort of thing, just around your, 
your organs and your you know your your bones your just your body it's like wearing wearing the batman armor right <laughs> kind of i guess um they said that the impact from my accident where i uh, obtained my spinal cord injury if i was any any weight less my spinal cord would have completely severed and i probably would have been dead uh, right at the scene so thankfully i was 240 pounds at the time i was a big boy and uh, yeah, I went headfirst into cement planter and my frame basically absorbed a lot of the shock and I didn't die. So that's good. Always a bonus. <laughs> yep. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about the, the bodybuilding side of things. So what, what made you want to get into the, the point where you wanted to, to compete? Hmm. Um, basically, after the first year working out, uh, going from 155 to about 195, I started seeing so many changes in my body and I realized that I had a really good frame, wide shoulders. Um, I started watching, you know, motivational bodybuilding videos and stuff like that on YouTube, on Google. I was, I was always watching it. I kind of got addicted to it. And, um, I just saw people at the gym who were older than me, a lot bigger than me. And like, obviously they're doing it for a lot longer. And, uh, there was one man at the gym named Grant who, uh, who is my coach at the moment, actually. And uh, I went up to him and I said, hey, like, how do you, how do you go into a show and what do you, what do, you do for one? And he, he basically explained to me, you know, that you have really good potential and uh, I'm really young and, and I put on a lot of weight in one year and that he would like to help me with it too. So um, I, I don't know. I just wanted to be competitive in it since, you know, the sports wasn't uh, going, you know, fully as, as I expected. And uh, this seemed like a good alternative at the moment. And I didn't really have any anything holding me back. So I thought, why not? And uh, I competed in two shows prior to my uh, motorcycle accident. And uh, yeah, fell in love with it ever since. That's cool. That's I don't know. It's a it's a different sport. I know some people are like, oh, I love it. I love doing it. And then there's others that are like, I can't do the diet side of it or just, you know, even the, the getting up on stage and, and posing and stuff like that. Like, let's let's talk about the building a routine and standing up on stage in a little speedo and like <laughs> flexing for hundreds of people and stuff like that. Like a routine on stage? Yeah. Like when you put together your... Oh, yikes. Yeah. You know, when you put together like... Getting getting up and getting out in front of all those people, like in your little banana hammock there. Like, what? You know, I got nothing to hide. They call me Mister Dick. So, but the but the real thing is that, that I don't that I don't understand. I am the biggest dick out of all of you guys. So we well, six four. We call you little dick. I know, but, but it doesn't make sense. But anyway, <laughs> um, I I don't know. Like I, the funny thing is that I I just find it baffling. Um, I do suffer from like depression and anxiety and all that and I have trouble going to public events. But that's so, more so after your accident, right? Oh yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, 100% just after my accident. I had no issues bef- before. Yeah. But, uh, I did realize that it's, it's just so funny that I can go step on on stage and I wasn't really even nervous in front of thousands of people posing a banana hammock with a huge limp because I'm super self-conscious of how I walk and my injury and everything and I always get looks. But but being up there was the most, you know, like amazing thing ever. It, it was it was insane. Like it was the best feeling I've ever had in my life since the accident. And um, it just makes no sense to me how I can't go into a grocery store 
by myself and get my own groceries. I always want to go with a friend or have my girlfriend go in for me because uh, I'm, I don't want to get looked at. I, I just, I'm super anxious. I get mad anxiety trying to go into a store by myself, but I'm able to step on stage in front of people in a speedo. And I made it, it still makes no sense to me. And I still have that issue. I'm still battling with it. But, um, just to be able to do that, I think it's just because I was so, I was so into the fitness community prior, prior to the accident and everyone at the gym knew who I was. And I felt really, really, you know, um, welcomed and I felt fine and I didn't feel like it was that big of an issue. And, um, and it was just like a second home basically. And, and I went on stage and I rocked it. And obviously with my injury and with, you know, my stability issues, my tone, my spasms, basically everything that I have to deal with that able body people don't have to deal with. Um, it, it definitely made going on stage a lot more difficult for me. Um, especially when you're that lean, your, your tendons and your muscles, like it's not healthy. You're not supposed to be that lean all year round. Um, so my body was definitely fighting me for the last couple of months during that prep. And, and there were, there were days where I couldn't even put a freaking shirt in my closet cause I was so dead. Like I, it was bad, but, um, I grinded through it all and, um, hit those poses. I uh, didn't fall on stage, which was probably one of my biggest fears. I had a couple nightmares of it. And ever since then, it was just ingrained in my head that I'm going to fall on stage, you know, it's just going to happen, but it didn't happen. You just drop down push-ups. <laughs> Almost. And, yeah. 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 Pretend. Yes. Yeah. It's part of, part of the routine. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I ended up placing third out of four people in my, uh, first competition back. Um, in the light heavyweight division, obviously my legs weren't up to par and the, you know, they weren't as symmetrical because I do have some more neurological issues with my right leg. Um, but, uh, for the most part, I came in probably one of the most conditioned, one of the most lean and dry, uh, people on stage, even though I didn't do any cardio whatsoever until uh, two weeks, I guess, before the show, because we really just wanted to focus on your diet you don't have to kill yourself with cardio. You don't have to kill yourself with workouts. You just have to really focus on, you know, staying on top of your diet and getting your meals in and, and getting your metabolism going. Yeah, I was talking about that with someone the other day, just how if the, the planning and the programming was done poorly, then there's some people that are doing cardio three hours a day, like even weeks mm-hmm. or a month out from competition because the you know, their, their diet wasn't dialed in or their, their training wasn't dialed in ahead of time. So that's, yeah. And think of how badly that messes up your metabolism for the future, right? That's not, that's not any way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so like mindset going into a bodybuilding comp before the accident and after what, you know, what were you thinking jumping on stage before the accident had happened when you were like primed and ready to go? Well, before my accident, it would be my first time on stage. So I think that I was actually, you know, a little more nervous because I didn't know what to expect. Um, I ended up going into the wrong division. I went into the men's physique division and I had the legs to go into men's bodybuilding, but I didn't know at the time. Um, so that's because they were covered with shorts, right? That is very true. <laughs> they were. And uh, I should have whipped them off, but I, I yeah. couldn't. I couldn't switch into bodybuilding. But uh, the show. Uh, like it's weird because the day of my accident, I actually got my, my, uh, diet plan, my workout routine and stuff like that from my coach to start my prep for a bodybuilding competition where I was actually going to do the bodybuilding uh, side of things instead of physique. But, um, 
basically before it was just, you know, I was a little more nervous just about, you know, competing against other people and, and who's going to be there and what's going to go on. Um, but, but after the, after the accident, I, I was just more or less focused on myself and, and I wanted to bring the best package that I possibly could. Um, you no know, pun with, intended. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, right. <laughs> best package I possibly could with, you know, what I had to deal with. Um, and, and it was extremely difficult, but it was, it was just amazing to be able to go on stage and just to share that stage with able-bodied people. Like, that's messed up. And like, I don't know, it was an awesome feeling. So what was it like competing with able-bodied people? You were, um, like, in the Olympics, there's the Paralympics, and then there's, like, the Olympics. So it, it would be a totally different competition in, in a lot of cases if you had, like, able-bodied athletes competing against the, the Paralympic athletes. That is very true. Um, the the biggest the biggest issue that I found was, um, you know, doing things on your day to day life that uh, able bodied people take for granted, and that I do not take for granted anymore. Um, just basically doing all the chores around the house, including doing your whole prep, uh, that was extremely difficult. Along with you know, even like not having full bowel the bowel or bladder um, function. Um, mine are you know not the same anymore they're probably at 50 to 60 percent of what they used to be which is better than when I first started which I had no control whatsoever so I'm grateful for that at least I don't poop myself that often anymore (laughs) only when you want to (laughs) yeah so so um competing against able-bodied people I I think it, it was more of a privilege than anything because I didn't expect well I did expect myself to step on stage again and do everything again but uh just to do it along people who are completely able-bodied, um, it definitely was a great feeling. I I want to actually go into the Paralympics at some point in the future. I've been talking to your friend, Kevin Kowalik, who is in the Olympics for Canadian rowing. Um, I have talked to him, and I want to actually get into Paralympic rowing. You did some rowing over the summer, too. I did. Um, unfortunately... Uh, the program was shut down for a few years because no one really wanted to do it. And once I contacted the rowing association, they set it back up, but they needed a couple more people to make it worthwhile. So we got two or three other people who have disabilities to uh, jump in with me. And unfortunately, they only went to one to two sessions out of the six to eight sessions that I did. And um, they basically kind of told me that it's not worth worth it just to have two people come and train me and um so that kind of sucked because you know you're expecting you know three or four people every time and it's just you showing up at 6 a.m on a sunday to row on a on the red river by yourself yeah but uh i definitely definitely want to do that in the future hopefully in the next few years once um you know bodybuilding is kind of in the past i'm not sure where where i'm going with that exactly yet but i really want to focus on functionality uh, mobility and hopefully get some good range of motion back and let that gait pattern get a little better before I step on stage again. Um, I am looking into wheelchair bodybuilding as well. Um, but uh, that way, in a rowing, I think it, it, it'll get me that competitive edge that I miss so badly again. Um, I miss, you know, winning. I hate losing. Like, that's the biggest thing for me. I'm just so competitive, and I just love being competitive with other people, other people and competitive with myself. I want to bring the best package I possibly can to every single situation that I'm in. So, um, yeah. With the, with the rowing, um, 
what did you, how did you find with the balance? And, um, <laughs> you know, you've got some, you've got some deficiencies on that, on that right leg. And, um, you're still, you're not wearing the, the, um, actuator. What do you call it? The, the, the walk aid? Yeah. The walk aid around yeah, my the leg. Walk aid. Yeah. Um, I had a surgery for that in January, 2017. It was a, uh, tendon transfer surgery. So basically they did three things to my right leg. They did a soleus lengthening because the tone and spasms in my right leg were so severe that they needed to lengthen the tendon there to help out. Um, and they also had to do a cuneiform osteotomy, which means they put a piece of a dead person's rib inside of the top of my foot to help my arch from depreciating since they did the tendon transfer surgery. And they also did a, a soleus lengthening, cuneiform osteotomy, and oh, what is that third one? Achilles? Didn't they do your Achilles? No, it was just soleus lengthening, cuneiform osteotomy, and a uh, oh, post-tib tendon transfer. So they transferred the tendon. That's basically what the whole thing was. They transferred the tendon from the inside of my right foot to the outside to help that tendon lift my foot up perfectly straight instead of at an angle where I had uh, a lot of issues with maybe rolling my ankle and falling. Drop foot. Yeah, foot drop. So I couldn't dorsiflex my ankle straight up. Um, it was basically stuck in a plantar flexion um, situation there. So uh, it was supposed to help. Um, it takes 12 to 18 months to recover from that. And basically it's been 19 or 20 months right now. And I still have some uh, deficiencies with that. And uh, uh, just started physio again after fighting with MPI for a little bit too long. But I'm excited to be back at physio and working on it. Cool. So let's... Let's talk about, say, your, your accident when that happened. Um, I, I remember the phone ringing at 4 o'clock in the morning and mom, mom... You remember it better than I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember the, uh, the phone ringing at 4 o'clock in the morning and I woke up and answered it and I, mom was frantic and she said, Shane's been in a motorcycle accident and they don't know if he's going to make it. Um, my dad was out of town at work and mom was just like, I can't drive. She's like, you, can you come pick me up? And I'm like, well, yeah, like, <laughs> I guess <laughs> like, so. Yeah, I'm not going to say no. Um, so yeah, went and, went and picked mom up and, um, and we headed down to, we headed down to, um, health sciences center and, um, yeah, it was, it was a rough ride there and, and mom was pretty worked up. And then, uh, I remember going into emerge and they kind of led us over to you and there was two police officers standing outside of your room because they were just waiting, um, waiting to see like if you were going to make it or not, because then like all of main street there was sort of blocked off. And, um, I know they would have had to do like a lot more investigation and all that kind of stuff. If, uh, if, if you did pass away because of the accident and, uh, so they had no clue if, if you were going to make it or not. But, uh, um, we just remember seeing you laying there all busted up, like your, you know, your face, you were bleeding from different parts of the, you know, your body. And I was asking you if you could feel your legs or if you could, you know, push your, 
push your foot into my hand and stuff like that. And you couldn't like, you didn't, you didn't have anything, any movement, you know, below the legs or whatever. And, and, um, I remember you saying like, Hey, could you cover my feet up? They're cold. And I'd look down and I'm like, they're, they are covered up. Like you just, it was kind of, it was, it was scary for everyone. And we didn't know, you know, what was, what was going on. You were waiting for that, for an MRI and stuff like that. Um, and then we had we had called dad several times. Um, he didn't have his phone on until I don't know what time it was in the morning, but I think we got a hold of him at six or seven a.m. and and then he like just started driving back. I can't remember where he was, but it was like four hours away, and he busted his ass <laughs> to to get back. And um, yeah, do you remember? Do you remember any of that or like what? I don't, and I do. Um, I remember probably things about a week after but uh prior to the accident i remember that night <clears throat> i was just uh driving home from a friend's and i wanted to uh i started work at 4 a.m uh, i worked basically monday to friday and saturday sundays at a second job basically so um it was it was difficult i just remember being at the red lights and 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 seeing them turn green, and I don't remember anything after that. Um, reconstructionists said that speed wasn't an issue and everything like that. Um, it was around 50 to 60K uh, around that corner there. And you didn't have any alcohol in your system? I would never drink and drive, no. Not happening. So um, I, I don't remember at all. They, the, the doctor afterwards did say that it is a mechanism that your brain uses to help um, not obtain PTSD from, from the accident, I guess. Um, so basically I kind of blacked out and let the body do, you know, take the damage and hopefully hopefully come out of it alive. Um, but I, I do remember just being in, in the hospital and, and, and waking up every, you know, so often and, and seeing a lot of people around me wondering, you know, what the heck's going on and why are, you know, some people crying because I, I wouldn't open my eyes for, you know, a long time it would probably be for like a minute I guess, I'd say I guess I don't know you would know more than me about that but yeah you were when mom and I were there I, you were laying there and uh, you'd have your eyes closed and then they'd be open and then you were I remember you hitting me I was standing right next to the bed and you were like hitting me with your hand you just like kept hitting me and you were laughing because you thought it was funny uh. and um, you know it was it was good to see that you were in like you know, you were still sort of like in decent spirits coherent. and yeah, somewhat coherent. And it was just like, all right, bro, keep hitting me. Like, if it keep makes it going, you happy, let's get that keep, function back. Keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. So, see, like, um, I don't remember any of that. I just, yeah, I, don't know. I remember, um, yeah, mom was pretty, pretty worked up, um, pretty upset, obviously. And, uh, I remember the, the police were standing outside of the room with, uh, with your helmet in a big plastic bag. And I asked if I could see the helmet and they, opened up the bag and that thing was just smashed. Like it's it, like if you didn't have a helmet on, like you'd obviously, you'd be gone for sure. So, oh yeah. Yep. So what happened was like you had, you had ended up going head first into a concrete planter on, on main street there. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then there was another, there was another car that had stopped and it was guys that you actually knew or they were younger than you or went to school with or something. Yeah. I, uh, the reconstructionist did say that I lost control uh, around that little curve in front of Pantages there. 
and I went uh, went along the the median for a hundred yards, which is the length of a football field. So it's quite a bit of quite a long way. And apparently, my bike got caught on the median. And obviously, I didn't get caught on the median. I just flew over my bike and I went headfirst into the cement planter, and my spine basically compressed like an accordion. And uh, that's that's what happened. And I was laying on the ground, and apparently. Uh, two two friends, well, one friend that I know, Ishpal, uh, happened to be coming home from, I guess, the bar at Johnny G's that night and saw a bike on the ground and and uh, <laughs> called 911 and, and an ambulance would have taken five to ten minutes to get there. And uh, somehow, some way, they randomly saw an ambulance come off a side street while they were on the phone trying to get an ambulance and uh, they waved it down, which is, like, absurd. Like, was, what are the chances of that? just happens to be yeah, an ambulance there. Yeah, thank God. And um, they came, and they, they basically did say if, if, if we waited you know, any longer, you probably would have bled to death. So I got extremely lucky because I did lose, like, what, five liters of blood. Um, I had a lot of hematoma in my neck as well. Which is pretty so, much all the body carries. Yeah, your body <laughs> holds five to six. So I was, I was right on the cusp of, uh, you know, saying, see you later, Wait, alligator. No. Yeah. So um, I got I got really lucky with that. So I guess they put me in the ambulance and uh, did what they had to do. I don't remember. And and apparently one of my friends who uh, who works for like uh, ambulance services, he said she said that one of her friends were, were the ones that picked me up. Yeah. And they were trying to ask me what my name and what my number was and where I lived. I had no idea about anything. All I all I kept saying and repeating was, "Oh, this sucks." That's all I said about ten times. He said, but, "Really? Yeah." I was trying to, you know, gather my breath since I punctured my lungs and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. I wonder how they got. I don't know how they got mom and dad's number then or anything like that. But whatever they, they yeah, found I have it, no which idea. was good. So, um, yeah. So you were in emerge. They were trying to figure out what to do. Like you had X-rays done. You had an MRI, and then I remember the doctors, you know saying what needed to be done to, to get fixed and stuff like that and that you were going to be going into like a 15-hour surgery to fuse your, your vertebrae and your spine and, and a whole bunch of stuff. And then, um, yeah, so it was, I don't remember how many days after the accident, if it was within the 24-hour period or 48-hour period that, uh, that you actually, yeah, that you actually went in and, and had the surgery done. And um, I just remember we were all waiting you know, waiting to see how you were going to come out of it. And you were in the ICU for a while. And, um, when you came out, you were, you were, you were pretty out of it. Um, you were so swollen from all the fluid they put in. Like you had, you had like some pretty crazy rhabdo from, uh, from the accident as well. Rhabdo. What is rhabdo? Rhabdomyolysis. So Explain. when muscle tissue, so bodybuilders, uh, Bodybuilders, CrossFit athletes, um, endurance athletes can get rhabdo from doing high-intensity exercise, or that's basically when a muscle tissue breaks down and then is released into the bloodstream. So it's something that can cause renal failure if not dealt with uh, immediately. And um, and that it's, it's not something that's extremely common. Um, you know, if someone does something that's way too intense and above their, their level of... of fitness, then it is a lot uh, easier for someone to get. Um, but uh, it's not something that, you know, you do an intense workout, you're going to get rhabdo. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. for you, it, since it was like more of a, because traumatic of your accident shock. and traumatic, yeah, traumatic experience and 
stuff was ripped open in your body um, and and moved around <laughs> like bones and stuff like that. Um, yeah, you ended up having that. So they had you pumped full of saline and you looked like the, the Michelin man, the tire, the tire. I am tire. the Michelin man. <laughs> but <laughs> seeing you, seeing, like knowing what you looked like, you know, days prior to that, um, you know, bodybuilder Shane versus Michelin man Shane. Like it was <laughs> yeah. crazy. Like oh, we've, yeah. we've still got like some pictures and video of that when you were like laying in your bed and oh, yeah. I, I ended up, I ended up getting your phone and I was like, ended up messaging, like I, I did something on Facebook or whatever and asked like, Hey, if you know where Shane was last night, like this is his brother Paul, like we're trying to figure out what happened and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, I remember you doing some posts and stuff like that or me holding the camera for you and you were saying yeah. like, Hey, yeah, it's me. I remember that. Went through surgery and like, you know, posted that. So that's probably somewhere on your, you know, your Facebook oh, yeah. still. Yeah. I did go up to, uh, I was 240 pounds prior to the accident, and they said that after I was pumped full of fluids, I went up to 295. 295. That's a heavyweight boy. And then, after six months of being in the hospital, since I was in there for half a year, I lost uh, 70 pounds of my original weight, so I went back down to 165. So I, I lost quite a bit of weight, yeah. That's crazy. So, um, so what was it like? What were you thinking when you're in the hospital bed, you're, you're laying there, the surgery's over, you still don't have a whole lot of function going on, um, you know, whether it is lower legs. I remember the physio came in like a couple days, even right after your surgery, and it was like, hey, let's get some like gas pedal movement going on or like toes or whatever. And I guess part of the issue with you not being able to move your legs is there was so much swelling in the spinal cord that it just like the signals weren't getting getting through to the legs it's like taking a garden hose and just like bending it in half and now like that water's not coming out yeah and saying try yeah yeah um i don't know yeah they they first started physio i i guess a little bit after i don't i don't remember much after about a week or two um once i did start physio i know that that basically uh, I would just stare at one side of the wall for like two or three hours and then they'd shift me so I didn't, didn't get bed sores uh, since I couldn't move at all. And um, they would come in and uh, I'd be laying flat on the bed and they would they would try to get me to move my fingers properly or like get some more like shoulder movement, elbow movement, uh, just, just like the levers and see if, you know, any of that works in my rotator cuffs. Um, my toes, my my feet, um, anything like that, um, and that would literally maybe be five minutes of physio, and I'd be dead tired trying to trying to do it, and and I, it's just amazing how much effort you can put into into it and and not get anything back. Um, it was is disheartening because you know you're so used to just you know you want to move your finger, you move your finger, but you're you're trying the hardest you possibly can, and you can you can't do it. Um, it's uh, it definitely hurts, but uh, we finally moved up from, you know, five minutes of physio a day for like a couple of weeks to like, you know, like 30 minutes. And then after that, they would um, put me from my bed and try to try to lift me up at a little bit of an angle. Um, I can't remember what the word is, but since you're since you're in bed at a, a horizontal state for so long, mm -hmm. um, when I when they would try to get me into an incline, 
I would automatically feel lightheaded and I'd feel like I was going to faint. So they'd have to put me back down. Equilibrium was off. Okay. That's exactly what it was then. <laughs> because yeah, I, I couldn't sit up straight for, I don't even know, maybe a month yep. or anything like that. And like, finally they, they tilted my bed up enough to where I can withstand it for only five minutes, 10 minutes. And, um, finally I was able to, uh, move into the, the Cadillac of wheelchairs, I remember them calling it because it was massive. Like it was like three wheelchairs in one <laughs> and it actually like, uh, laid me down perfectly horizontally, uh, just in case, you know, I started getting lightheaded, uh, while we were going for walks or whatever that would be. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that was a mish, but, uh, that's what I had to do. Those little, those little trips and outings to like Tim Hortons or whatever in the, in the cafeteria with, with mom and dad and everyone just, those uh, are the best. Yeah. So what were your thoughts recovering? You know, you're in the hospital bed, you're, you don't have full functionality of your body. You're, you're thinking about, you know, what you can do, what you can't do. What's, what's going through your head at this time? Um, when I first noticed that, um, I couldn't use my legs or arms as I normally could. I was pretty freaked out. I didn't really understand like what happened, why it happened until someone told me that I'm a C5 quadriplegic. Um, there was a lot of issues that happened throughout my accident. I ended up breaking like a ton of ribs. My punctured my lungs. I broke my scapula, broke like 14 vertebrae, had my whole spine fused, um, and just tons of stuff. There's lots of atrophy. So, Having to deal with all that and not knowing much about spinal cord injuries prior to my accident, um, I, I knew it was pretty serious, but I was very, very confident in myself. And I think I downplayed it a little bit because um, back in the day in my head, uh, if I said, what am I going to be doing five years from now? I wouldn't say I'd be doing a podcast with you talking about it. I'd say I'd be running, jogging, playing sports again. And uh um, that's still the ultimate goal. Um, I'm still working towards that, obviously, and I definitely did downplay it. Um, it. It takes a ton, a ton of work every single damn day, and uh, there are days where you definitely uh, don't want to, to do anything because um, you're depressed and you're, you're you know, you 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 were so active before. Um, you're involved in all your sports, all the extracurricular activities. Um, you know, you're used to being independent, not, not worrying about, um, asking, you know, someone to go get you a glass of water or help put your shoes on or your socks or clothe you or bathe you or, or anything like that. And I, I, I shriveled up there. I just didn't know what to do. Um, thankfully my support system definitely did help out, you know, like my mom and dad were there every single day for six months, um, in the hospital and like my brothers, you know, were there every single day. My friends came basically every single day. Um, and even, you know, to this day, I have like the biggest support system possible. And, you know, I don't utilize it as much as I want, um, because, um, I don't like asking for things and I don't like being dependent on people, but, uh, um, I definitely would not be as far as I am today if it wasn't for those people in my life. Um, it was, it was definitely a big shock, uh, realizing how serious of an issue it was or the, the injury was, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm, you know, walking upright and I'm, I'm, I'm where I am today right now. I'm grateful. When you were doing physio, 
you were going multiple times a day. Like they were coming into your room um, multiple times a day, just getting you doing like really small stuff, really like, hey, move your toes. Okay, let's do some like gas pedal movement with your with your your foot at the ankle there. Let's get you bending, you know, your knee a little bit. And it's like, I think when that swelling went down, it was like a week, week and a half. You were starting to get a little bit more movement in the legs, and that was that was cool. That was like really cool to see for I think everyone, just knowing that you were getting some of that back and. And then, you know, hoping that, that you'd get it all back. But they had told you that you had, what, a 1% or 3% chance you'd ever walk again? Um, well, at first, um, they did tell my mom that, uh, or our mom, I would say. Uh, that, Not uh, just your mom. I'm sorry. I thought you were adopted for a second again. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, they did, uh, the nurse and the doctor did tell my mom uh before that, uh, you know, your son's not going to walk again. You should make your house wheelchair accessible and, and get all the ramps and, you know, reno, reno it to help, you know, someone in a wheelchair. So um, it, it was difficult. We did, yeah, probably, you know, a couple times a day. It was anywhere from five minutes, and then it got worked up and up and up. And finally, when I was able enough to be wheeled down, like not even like just go down there, but when I can finally get my body into a wheelchair without being in severe pain is when I was able to actually start physio in the rehab facility. And when we got there, uh, my physiotherapist, Kevin Stewart, awesome guy, by the way, he might see this. So, Hey, but, uh, he, he was great. Um, just to, I remember the first day of physio, uh, I was lying in the bed there on a physio bed and Kevin needed two assistants just to sit me up and they needed three people to hold me there. And like my, my mom was at that session and, and, uh, she, <laughs> she started crying. She almost fainted and had to go to the bathroom and uh, eat a couple of chocolate bars to get her sugar, sugar levels back to normal. And I'm sure she had the cho- chocolate bars <laughs> in her purse. Yeah. The arrow bars, they're, yeah. they're ready for it. So, uh, um, it was definitely really hard for me to to just know like how like I'm so useless right now. Like what is the point in this? Like why am I even, you know, here sitting up when when I can't do absolutely anything? Um and then uh we we had one hour sessions a day. Um and I would do things in my bed by myself just because, you know, I, I really want to get better and as best as I can. And um um it slowly worked up to we did uh, two sessions a day. One would be in the morning, one would be in the afternoon. And I insisted on going twice a day, even though, um, they, they weren't, you know, they, they said like, Oh, like one is good enough. And I said, no, like I'm in here and I like, I'm here to get better. And a couple, you know, I shared, shared a room with three other people that were, um, not the most motivated, uh, being, you know, using kind words here. Um, they weren't the most motivated and, um, it did piss me off because one person, you know, had like a, you know, like a slight fracture in their leg and I just hear them complaining all the time and it's like, boy, like the world. Yeah. Like get, get downstairs and go do your physio instead of just eating like crap and playing your video games all day. Like you're here to get better. And, uh, I spent six months in the hospital doing that and, uh, doing anywhere from, I finally got up to doing two to 10 hours of physiotherapy a day for like the first uh, between years one and three, I was probably doing at least, you know, at least six hours of physio a day. 
Um, and uh, I kind of got out of that routine now because like life comes back, you know, I have to get back to school, find a career. Um, I can't do things that I used to be able to do. So I have to kind of transition. Um, it's still a big, big change for me. So, um, I'm still working on physio and doing a lot, uh, right now, which is really nice. I want to get as much done before, uh, school starts in January as possible. So, um, physio is a huge, huge part of it. I remember Kevin saying that like, it wasn't him. No, it was Paul. I think it was his assistant. Paul had said like he had been there for like 25 years and he had never seen someone so motivated to do physio and you would come, come in there and bust your ass. And I had kind of forgotten about the part where you were even sitting up in physio. And I remember going and and seeing them helping you up and stuff like that. And, And I totally forgot about that stuff until you just mentioned it. But the stuff that I remember is you being put into like the hoist with like a belt and all that kind of stuff. And it's basically like you couldn't, you couldn't walk or anything like that. You couldn't stand up like sitting was like work for you. And then putting you in this hoist where this thing, like basically like a crane almost. Yeah. It was a Hoyer lift. That's what they're called. And you had to like walk along that and you had these, you had these guys grabbing your legs and forcing your legs to move because you just couldn't do it yet. Mm-hmm. And um, the stuff that I remember is like, is that and and having you like seeing you walking down the hall with like a a walker and stuff like that versus even just the the basics of even trying to learn how to sit up again and and get those core muscles firing that just weren't being used for a while. Yeah. Um, it. it- it definitely was uh, a little bit of an issue. Uh, Paul, Paul, I remember did say that this was one of the most severe spinal cord injuries that he's seen because at first they did, they did think that, uh, I was a complete injury. Uh, but that was due to all the swelling. They, they couldn't really like figure out if it was a complete or not. And, uh, due to the hematoma in my neck, I did have some fractures in my C one, two, and three, I believe, but they didn't uh, want to operate on it because of the hematoma in the upper neck area there in the C-spine. So the C5 and lower was the the best area to start at, and that's where they started. And um, once the inflammation went down and everything like that, uh, um, yeah, I was able to start, you know, trying to sit up. And um, I just, yeah, I just remember feeling, like, so, so useless and, and uh, you know, just... just I don't know, just dead to the world that I, you know, what's going to happen from here. I didn't want to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Um, I didn't uh, go into physio every day with a smile on my face. Um, I went in there to work and to get better, even though I wasn't feeling like it. And, um, yeah, it was pretty difficult, but, uh, um, yeah, all all the stuff, (laughs) all the stuff leading up to, uh, even like the tilt table, um, I had to learn how to sit up first and then like try to balance myself. And that took a couple weeks. And then, um, they put me on the tilt table, which is just basically they strap you in, uh, they strap your upper chest in your midsection in and your legs in. And, um, they, they slowly tilt the table, um, uh, vertically to see if you can withstand your own weight. And, um, they, like I couldn't <laughs> obviously. And, uh, they put it at a slight angle and they'd have me try to bend my knees just, just a 
Tad from from full extension and and basically it felt like I was squatting uh, four hundred pounds. Yeah. yeah, it was insane. Like it felt like I was squatting four plates, ten reps, like trying to do like my own body weight for for what one sixteenth of an angle. Like like yeah. it was it was insane. And um, um, I remember the first the first time. Funny story. The first <laughs> first time I ever stood. I do have a video of it actually. Um, it's just a table. You put your arms or your elbows on the table, uh, while you're sitting on the bed and it, and it rises as you are trying to stand up. And I had a lot of spasms and tone and stuff like that. And, um, that, that was probably the least of my worries that day, unfortunately, because, uh, the first time I did stand up, I shit myself (laughs) and I had no idea I had to shit. Um, it just, uh, I was, and I didn't wear a diaper that day. And it was the worst day because <laughs> there's poop on the floor, <laughs> and uh, I felt so bad. Um, but uh, Kevin, Kevin assured me that uh, wet mop cleanup on aisle four. <laughs> yeah, bed four. There's a lot of poop there. <laughs> so um, he 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 did ensure me that uh, that it was completely normal when your body goes through all of that and um, you go vertical for the first time instead of you know just just staying staying in a bed. Um, your body is in shock and it just lets go of whatever it has. And, um, yeah, so I pooped myself the first time I ever stood after my accident. <laughs> I don't think I've told too many people that, but you just told everyone yeah, that now. No, now yeah. I did. I don't really care now because yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's in the past, but, uh, shit happens. It, it definitely did happen that day. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, ever since then, every time I stood up, I'd make sure I wore a diaper to, uh, to physio just in case. And Kevin would be like, Hey, you bring a diaper today. Don't want to. Don't want to clean up your shit again. So I said yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we moved on from there. So what? What got you motivated to to get up and go to physio every day and go multiple times a day? Like you said, you know, not every day is going to be successful. It's it's the same as getting to the gym. Not everyone's motivated to go to the gym every day. Not everyone's motivated to train every day. You know, you're in a a position where. You know, you were doing really well with the bodybuilding, um, aesthetically, strength-wise, and then now you're you're trying to like stand up and not shit. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Yeah. What? So going back to the question, what got you motivated to like get up and go and get up and go and do that every day, multiple times a day? Um, basically. Yeah, I was such a high caliber athlete before and I was so into everything that I, I think my competitive nature and just will to to be the best and wanna, you know, like progress as much as I can helped out quite a bit. And having, you know, seeing you go through so much, uh, growing up with your leg injury and like um definitely helped out a lot. Uh gave me, you know, the motivation on days where I didn't really want to do anything. Um and a lot of a lot of it definitely did stem from me still living at home and and having having all the independence in the world going to basically nothing um i was reliant on you know like mom and dad for absolutely everything all my appointments you know i couldn't drive i lost my license because you know like you're not gonna you know let a guy with who's paralyzed keep his license is probably not the best idea (laughs) so uh, i lost my license how to get that back um, fortunately now I'm able to drive with a left pedal swap. Um, but, uh, I didn't want to be, yeah, I didn't want to be dependent on, uh, 
definitely like my mom the most. Um, yeah, she did. She did everything for me, and uh, um, yeah, that was basically one of the biggest reasons is because I I just didn't want to you know rely on her for anything, and um, later on in life I wanted to be able to help them out as much as I could. So uh, that was definitely definitely part of it. Yeah, mom, both mom and dad were were you know both there all the time and. You're getting updates from them, and um, and uh, yeah, they're they're a huge part of you know both of our recoveries. And I know, like when I got into my accident when I was 16, mom was there at the hospital every day, and you know, dad was there too. And and if you know he was out of town or whatever, she still made her way down there, and uh, yeah, was was there every day. So they're I think a huge reason as to why, you know, we've got some really great support systems and, um, you know, had the, the chance and the ability to, to recover the way we did and, uh, you know, and, and have that support and that, that love. Oh yeah. Like if we didn't have that, I don't think I'd be where I am today or as far as I am or, or, you know, have, have, you know, the characteristics that I do is because of them. So I'm really grateful for that. And, I'm really happy that I got to where I am right now and there's still a lot to go. And, um, yeah, I just think that, uh, you know, like being at the age of 20, like why, why do you need so much help? Like I didn't want my mom to basically, um, have a fifth child, so to speak, you know, like she had to do everything again, like bathe me, like who has to bathe their 20 year old son, you know, like. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's still some people out there that do. Yeah, I know, but a little, like a little awkward. Yeah, <laughs> by yeah. choice. By yeah, yeah, maybe not by choice, but uh, yeah, just just she had to do so so much, and it hurt me so much um, that uh, it definitely helped me push push myself past the limits. And um, I've just always had it in me to 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 be competitive, to be you know athletic, to to do the best I can in every single situation, and. And this was just one of them, and it's going to be one of them for the rest of my life. Hey, everyone. We're going to pause right there with Shane Dick is Limitless. Uh, This is uh, podcast one of two, and uh, the second part we'll be releasing early next week. So hopefully you're enjoying it so far, and hopefully it's making you a little bit better than yesterday. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Better Than Yesterday podcast hosted by Stark Strength and Conditioning and Stark CrossFit. If you have any ideas for a guest you'd like to hear on our show or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please send them to us at info at starkstrength.com. Take care, everyone.